Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media. To make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. Um, the Middle East, between Palestine and Israel, and now Egypt and Syria, um, Iran, Afghanistan. I mean, it is, it's growing. Turkey, it's, I mean, every day you turn on the news and there's something more that's going on. And um, fortunately or unfortunately, everyone has an opinion on it. Uh, someone once told me, you've got to be careful because everyone becomes an expert on everything all the time. And, um, and, and when we're talking about a, a subject like this, that I think is for hopefully obvious reasons, like the region, there's so much history that's there. And, um, and, and as someone was telling me just a couple days ago, they said, man, like if, if things really break out, uh, a lot of really holy sites could be destroyed, right? I want you to think about places that Christ himself walked. Um, think about Bethlehem. Think about the church of the Holy Sepulchre. Think about the church that was destroyed. Uh, there was an Orthodox church that was destroyed in Palestine that's about a thousand years old. So think about some of these holy sites, right? So, so, so there's some of that stuff going on. So you can imagine, just from a Christian perspective, how heated and, and, and passionate people get about this stuff, right? Now, if we can step out of our own world as well and realize that there are other people that consider some holy sites and holy areas in that region as well, and they are equally, if not more, impassioned, uh, that's, we can understand, like, why people get so impassioned about this, right? If we can step out beyond holy sites and understand that we're more than just holy sites, we're talking about human beings, right? And human life um, on all sides, then I think hopefully we can approach this um, from a place of prayer. The, the, the issue that pops up when people have these conversations is oftentimes who's right, right? Who's right and who is more justified um, to do whatever it is that, take whatever action it is that they think they should be taking or that people think they should be taking. So, um, you know, were the, was Hamas right in attacking? Was Israel justified in their response, right? Is Syria or Iran or Af like who is Egypt right to close their doors of the border and not accept in refugees, right? Is America right to get involved? Like so everyone oftentimes approaches this from a place of which side or sides is right and implicitly who's wrong. And I think kind of at the core of this whole conversation is a conversation that gets buried, which is a conversation about land, which is who does the land belong to? So while we're sitting over here enjoying this beautiful land of ours, there are people that are there that are fighting over, well, this, belong, belongs, this land rather belongs to me, right? Or this belongs to my ancestor. And so, again, it's easy to look and say, well, yeah, I have an opinion on, on who the land belongs to. But I want to zoom back out and say it depends, it depends when we're talking about, right? When are we talking about that the land belongs to who? And I'm not, listen, I wanna be clear, my purpose is not 
to say this group is right, this group is wrong, okay? Or this group is more entitled to the land than this group. That's not what we're doing today, okay? But I just want us to zoom out a little bit and think about things from different layers. Are we talking about from 3,000 years ago, right? So there was a promise that was given in Genesis chapter 12 to Abraham that there would be land that would be given and that land would be um, a certain area, right? And that land was given as a covenant promise, right? So if we're talking 3,000 years ago, there's this ancient Jewish kingdom that existed that um, comes from this place of promise. But over the next, let's say, 1,600 years, things land kind of shifted, right? And then are we talking about maybe 1,400 years ago? 1,400 years ago, uh, after uh, the expansion of, the, uh, of the, the Arab kingdom and the conquest following Muhammad and Rashidin and Umayyad, right? These different dynasties. So are we talking about who does the land belong to, right? We kind of get fixated into a specific time period that we tend to think about, but the question is what time period are we, we talking about? Are we talking about 100 years ago? Are we talking about 100 years ago? Uh, following the, the Sykes-Picot Agreement of 1916 or in 1920, right? This mandate of Palestine in 1920, what time period are we talking about? Now, there's this, this really interesting kind of set of images that are floating out there, and you may or may not have seen them, but I just want to put both of them up, right? It's the question of who lost the land at what time period. And so I'm just going to put these images up there for you, right? Because when we're talking about Whose land is it? It depends, again, when are we looking at and who and what time period are we concerned or focusing on, right? So if we're talking about the Jewish people would say, well, since 1,000 that was our land, and then in 1920, we had this land, and now we have this, right? And so it kind of, they're looking over a certain period of time. And if you look at Palestine, in 1947, they had a very specific part of land, and after the UN Charter of 1948, when statehood was given to Israel by the United Nations or re-given or whatever you want to say, right? That kind of happens in 1947, 48, and then over time, Palestine says, in modern history at least, we can look and say, well, wait, the, the land has kind of swapped places, right? So guys, it is messy. It's really a messy, complicated issue. And so I'm not here to tell you the Palestinians or the Israelis or Jews should feel a certain way or shouldn't feel a certain way. What I want to look at and say, guys, is that what I'm seeing from churches and Christians, um, and, and I'm not really on social media by the grace of God, but what I do see is, like, people will send me posts, and they'll send me screenshots, and it's, man, it is, it's aggressive out there. People are not realizing and thinking how complicated this is. And if we could kind of have easily woven this into the communication gap series that we've been doing. Because a lot of times what happens is we're only looking right in front of us, about three inches in front of us, or we're only looking in the mirror, we're not looking at the other person, right? And when people get killed, I understand, I don't expect most people to be very rational when they lose a loved one or feel endangered, I get it, okay? And both sides could say, and have said the same, okay? So it's, it's messy, it's complicated, and I just want us to be careful to not be simplistic in how we respond and to be careful of distorted theology. Now, 
This is where the church needs to step in and understand how at least one part of the Christian West has gotten hijacked with this topic. So there was a group back in the 1850s called the Brethren Movement. I mentioned them a few weeks ago when we were doing that Q&A, the real questions, real answers, and we were talking about the Antichrist and kind of I, we spoke a little bit about this. This came up, right? There was a guy by the name of John Darby. Is this name familiar to anyone? John Darby? Okay. That's good. Okay. One person. Okay. There was a, a, a Bible out there called the Scottfield Bible. Some of you may have it sitting on your shelf. I actually had it on my shelf for many years. I didn't realize until I read about it. And I was like, oh, the Scottfield Bible. I picked it up and I started looking at some of the interpretations that are there. It all comes from this time period in the mid 19th century. Okay, mid 1800s. So, what what the Brethren movement kind of popularized up in the UK, the northern part, Scotland mostly, is this idea of what's called dispensationalism. Okay, dispensationalism is that God has worked through different dispensations. This is going to come back to Israel and Palestine. This is important. Okay, but God has worked through different dispensations in different times. Right, and some of those dispensations are ways that He's communicated him, things to his people, and certain covenant relationships that he's established at different times with different groups of people. So one of those things that kind of comes out during this uh, teaching of the Brethren Movement surrounds the state of Israel. Okay? And it surrounds this idea of the necessity to rebuild the temple. Okay? And it Kind of, and some of you may have read or seen stuff like this where the idea here is that, and this is all comes from Darby and Scottfield, okay? The idea here is that Gog and Magog represent Russia and China, and that at the end they're going to play a, a role kind of like in partnership with the Antichrist, but they're going to align with other forces in the Middle East. I mean, it's a really convoluted theology. But the thinking is that the Christians in this kind of dispensationalist theology, and I will say most Protestant churches in the West follow a dispensationalist theology when it comes to the end times, okay? So you will hear them talking about the idea of Israel has a special place and purpose in God's design and his plan for the end. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. So, so disp dispensationalism is that God has different he dispenses, if you will, grace and knowledge through different means and channels at different times. So at one point he dispensed, right? There was this covenant with Israel, and now he had a different dispensation through the church. But in the end times, what will happen is there will be a path for the church, the New Testament church, and there will be a path for Israel, right? And, and so as a result of this, people sometimes take Romans and they interpret certain parts of Romans, I want to say it's Romans 9, 10, 11, in that area. Um, kind of thinking that, okay, Israel is still there, but most early church fathers like Irenaeus, Justin Martyr, Augustine, there's a couple other that I'm drawing a blank on right now. Tertullian's another one. Anyway, 
These are people that said, no, no, the church, they believed in something that's not popular in the West, but they believed in what was called supersessionism. In other words, the church, because the church responded, including Jews and Gentiles, they responded to the Messiah, that the church is the new Israel. Okay? So, so this was kind of like the thinking for the first 1,800 years until about 200 years ago. Okay? Why does this come up? Because a lot of what is coming out of Christian churches in the West comes from this dispensationalist theology, this Darbian thinking about the role of Israel in the end times. I'm gonna, some of you may have seen, there's a, a, a number of Protestant churches that are pushing out these videos. I don't know if you guys have heard of Joel Rosenberg. Okay, Joel Rosenberg has written, I think like 16 uh, fictional stories uh, Ro uh, Rosenberg focuses a lot about how Jerusalem, one of the books is called Epicenter, I read it. Uh, it's a, such a captivating read, but it's terribly, like terrible from, the, from a theological perspective. It's horribly written. Like from a, a theological perspective, you're, if you read it, you're going to be like all messed up, okay? But nonetheless, he's a really good writer and a good speaker. He's a Jew who converted to Christianity. He's evangelical, and he is now pushing hard, hey, we need to, he has this project called the Joshua Fund that he started in 2006 that has just exploded. And it's really going from door to door to evangelical churches saying, hey, we need to support Israel and the establishment of Israel, okay? So, so this is kind of like this alignment that's taking place between the evangelical right and the state of Israel, if you will, okay? So... It's, um, yep, right there, 2006, based on this desire to mobilize Christians to bless Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus, according to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. So, so, guys, there is a lot of, I will say that I think personally, this is not a theological or biblical exegesis, I'm putting my cards on the table, I think the work of Rosenberg, he might be good-hearted, but I think it's a lot of problems of stuff, personally speaking, okay? This is not for me like a political issue as much as it is a theological issue. And obviously theological stuff intersects with, with politics, it does, right? But our theology should inform our politics, not the other way around. So there was an email that one of the churches, again, even local church in the area sent out several weeks ago, and it takes this passage from Psalm 122, God calls us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Please join us in prayer for Israel. So this was sent out about two weeks ago, okay? It says here, O Father God, great is your name. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for sending your only son. Save us, Lord. Heal those who are wounded in Israel. Comfort the afflicted and those who are mourning. Pour out your Holy Spirit so they may see your presence and magnify your name. Lord, bring those who are held hostage home. Unite families that are torn apart. Protect them, O Lord. Heal the wounded, right? So there's, it's, it's beautiful, some beautiful aspects here, but this real focus on we need to pray for Israel, which means we're implicitly also not praying for who? Palestine, right? right? When we pray for Ukraine, we are implicitly not praying for Russia, right? And what we need to be careful here, guys, because a lot of us are so simplistic, and we just follow, and forgive me, I'm not meaning to be like, 
belittling, but a lot of times we get hijacked and we're like, we, we reduce all of Israel or all the Jews to the government of Israel. And we reduce all Palestinians to Hamas. And we reduce all Russians to Putin, right? And we reduce all Americans to either Biden or Trump, the guy who came before him, right? We reduce all people to a specific leader or government. And what we need to be cautious of, because I've seen stuff and heard stuff, and man, it's, it's, it blows my mind the way Christians can speak about, like, so cold-heartedly about what's going on over there. People are getting butchered on both sides. People are saying, oh, we need to just send in nerve gas and wipe out all of Palestine. Do you realize we're talking about millions of people that are there? And a lot of Christians and Muslims alike, okay? I, for me, it's not like there are Christians there, there are they're human beings. And on the other side, people are saying, like, and, and there's protests that are going on, and people posting things online, oh, we need another um, Holocaust. I mean, like, just horrific stuff. Horrific stuff. And by the way, I don't blink an eye when I see this in the world. What burdens me is when I hear this from Christians. That blows me away. The church needs to understand that when we pray for Israel, when we pray for Jerusalem, we're praying. By the way, this is, I just want to give you a snapshot because this church that sent this out, the early church didn't see Jerusalem or Israel. They weren't fixated on a, a location. For them, Jerusalem, well, that's the place of, that God dwells. his people. When Augustine and Athanasius both comment on this psalm, they're talking about pray for Jerusalem, pray for Israel. They're saying pray for the church, pray for the perfect peace, pray for the church, pray for the Christian. Okay? We need to be sure that when we are approaching this subject, we're doing so with some um, clarity. Now, let me just kind of come to two more quick points and then we're going to have some time to pray together, okay? So I thought this would be helpful when we're talking about understanding Judaism, Christianity, and Islam just from a systematic perspective, okay? For the Jews, or in Judaism, the holy land is Jerusalem. That is the holy land. When Christ came, he goes, no, the holy land is the human soul. That's the place that I dwell amongst my people. We're not fixated on, we don't have to be at the temple. When Muhammad comes, now no, there has to be a holy land again, right? So it's a reversion back. I actually believe Judaism and Islam are very in common in many ways. Okay, so the Holy Land in Islam is Mecca, Medina, and Jerusalem in that order of importance, right? So there's this Holy Land kind of, we have to fight to protect this place. Okay, so that's one, presence. 
In Judaism, God is transcendent. In Islam, God is transcendent. In Christianity, God is not only transcendent, but he is imminent, right? Yes, God is unknowable, but he became knowable, right? God is above and outside, but he, through the incarnation, entered and dwelt amongst us. And not just that, he sends his Holy Spirit to dwell amongst his people. The nature, this is important, in both Judaism and Islam, God is a monad, right? And in Christianity, he's a triad. He's a three in one, right? So it's three persons. In Christianity, we believe that God is a community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why we describe God as love, right? The dietary restrictions, that's another one that I just put up in there. Yes, no, yes, right? I mean, there are so many similarities that are there, but what's being focused on where this kind of intersects, the third one perhaps some, but I think that first one has a deep impact on this, right? That's why sometimes it's possible that some holy sites, Christian holy sites could been, by the way, destroyed. That doesn't prevent the church from continuing to worship and pray in all places at all time. Our Father who art in heaven, we are, not, we are not reduced to praying in a specific temple, in a specific place. Whereas in Judaism and Islam, this, is, this heightens the topic, the subject, right? It's intense. God forbid some of the stuff that's being spoken about on the news happens. And buildings come down, and a religious building, Dome of the Rock, comes down, and another one goes up. To, I mean, and, and by the way, there are some in the, in the evangelical world that are pushing this and promoting it, and we have to support this. And I'm like, you're trying to rein in the end of the world. Like, this is wonderful. God bless you. God help you people. Right? I mean, so anyway, this is something that we need to, I, I just, I wanted to discuss this from a, not from a, a political perspective as much as from an, a Christian lens, an Orthodox Christian lens. So that we understand like how is it that we can and should be approaching this subject, okay? I'm just gonna, I mentioned dispensationalism. I just wanna mention some of the dangers. So I, as I mentioned, most evangelical Protestant churches do teach dispensationalism. It's something that came out mid-late 19th century, makes this distinction between God's plan for national Israel and for the New Testament church. It emphasizes the prophecy of the end times and pre-tribulation rapture of the church prior to Christ's second coming. You will hear many people saying like, well, political state of Israel can do no wrong. They're, they are in the plan of God. I was, couldn't believe it when I first read it, but I watched the video where Netanyahu says something to the effect of like, describes Palestine as Abimelech. And if you are familiar with the story of Abimelech, Israel was commanded to wipe out men and women, children. Inf I mean, it was just like a complete extermination. And, um, and that's some pretty scary stuff. We're talking about human life here, right? Humans are created in the image of God with a specific dignity. And whether we agree or disagree with people, we should always pray for and seek the dignity of the life of the other. We do it really well as a church when it comes to the unborn. We don't always do it really well when it comes to the subject of war because we get so hijacked emotionally 
around these subjects. And we get polarized around these subjects. Okay? I do want to read, just because I appreciated the statement that the church put out a week and a half ago. It says, the Coptic Orthodox Church headed by His Holiness Pope Tuadros II condemns the unjustified Israeli violence against innocent Palestinian civilians which reached a cruel climax with the bombings of the Baptist Hospital in Gaza. You can tell this is dated because more has happened since then, um, resulting in the shedding of the blood and hundreds of innocent martyrs. And I think that's the point that you were making, which is, yes, there were, there were also Christians that were being killed there, right? Yep. While we condemn this attack, we affirm our firm stance against the shedding of innocent blood everywhere and on every side in our full support for the rights of the Palestinian people to live in security within their lands. We pray that God will give them in the horrors they face, give them, help them in the horrors they face, reassurance to the entire world. Solidarity with our people in Gaza, the Diocese of Public and Social Services, preparing aid to send to the Gaza Strip, the church appeals to its children to participate in this work. We pray for calm and peace in Palestine around the world. I thought it was such a beautiful statement when I read it. I was so surprised when I heard some, I saw some comments that certain people were making. They're saying, oh, so you stand with Hamas. And I was like, are, 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 are you people like so simplistic? <laughs> Guys, we neither stand with Israel or Hamas, okay? We stand with human life and that's what is being said here. Sure. I'm, I'm not going to argue the, 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 the goodness or the badness of a specific government. Okay? I'm not a, I, I'm not, I don't want to offer my personal positions on a specific political group. Okay? Um, so, so what can we do? What can we do? I think, I think, guys, we do need to be praying for the innocents that are being slaughtered. And as a number of you said, the innocents are being slaughtered on both sides. Okay? They're being left to the fodder. And this is what happens at the time of war. I don't know how many times in the last three weeks I've said, I hate war. I hate war. But for some reason, whenever something like this happens, people start beating the drums, the war drums. They want to go to war. Human life is precious. And we should pray for the dignity and the safety of every human life. The second one is to please remember it's messy and it's complicated. And I'm always cautious what I read. I read stuff for both sides and I form an opinion somewhere in the middle, usually. But quite frankly, my role as a Christian in the world necessarily to align with one side or the other, but it's to align with the kingdom of God. And if that means that I need to pray for all parties and their safety and well-being, then that's what I do. So understand it's complicated, it's messy, as most of these things usually are. Rather than choosing sides, I think we can choose humanity. We can choose human life. We can pray for and call for peace. And the third is we need to really continue to cover this in prayer. I would really ask each person. I know like 
Russia-Ukraine has come and it's going and it's still going on and stuff like this. I think the concern that, that many people have is that this specific escalation has the potential to really explode quickly. Um, and so I would ask you to also pray for Russia and Ukraine. I would, but I would encourage you to like cover these things in prayer. Cover them in prayer, in daily prayer. So, so I'm torn. I'm torn. Okay? I'm torn because I know that there are really strong opinions on this. And I know some of you would really like to share. However, my caution is that if we open that up, this is going to turn into, yeah, debate. So what I'd like us to do is to really take this up in prayer and pray together. Okay? Um, I've pulled together a few songs. I'm going to ask... Uh, if you guys could come up and help uh, lead us in the, the songs and between songs, hymns we can please pray let's pray together This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media We hope that this talk has through the grace of God touched your heart and we pray that it will not only inform you but will also transform you and your life with Christ.